Well, as you know, March Madness begins this month. I don't know how many of y'all in here are Carolina basketball fans, but I think the win yesterday might get Carolina into the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm not going to talk about Clemson or any other state schools. I'm just, I'm just making a little statement there that Carolina looks like they're going to be in the tournament, so I'm a little more interested this year in the tournament. Now, today our lesson that we're going to be talking about is we're going to be dealing with practice and I think that most of the teams, when they go into the tournament, I believe there's 68 teams that will be going into the tournament, most of the teams are going to tell you that one of the reasons why they are making it into the tournament, other than the fact that they're talented and all those things, it's because they practiced well, they prepared well, so that when they came to this time of the season, that they'd be ready to compete for a national championship. Now, I sort of debated whether or not to show probably the most famous video that there is about an athlete talking about practice. Y'all might remember Allen Iverson, and uh, he talked about practice. You know, is practice really all that important? Does practice really matter? And uh, my contention is that, that practice is tremendously important. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, he wrote a book called Outliers, and in the book, he, con he contends that practice is tremendously important. He talked about a young British band in the early 1960s that, was pl that would play every weekend uh, little, little venues in Germany. And he said nobody really paid attention to them as they played. The acoustics were terrible. Uh, they were terrible. Nobody was really interested in them. But over the years, a couple of years, they ended up practicing 1,200 times in these little concert arenas or these little venues that they're playing in. Gladwell said that they're playing 1,200 times was more times than most bands play in a career. And what happened is because they practiced so much, they ended up becoming pretty good. Uh, the band, of course, turned out to be the Beatles, and they had an incredible career. Now, Gladwell said that the reason why they became so good was because of practice. Now, as we continue, as we cont uh, begin this new series, March Madness, one thing that I'm going to contend is that practice is not just important in sports. It's also something that is important when it comes to matters of faith. And I believe that there are many of us as believers that we struggle in our walk with God. We struggle in our relationship with God, really making a difference in everyday life for a very simple reason. It's because we don't practice our faith a whole lot. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look in our passage of Scripture and we're going to take some lessons over this month that we see being applied on the basketball court and we're going to try to apply them into our spiritual walk with Christ as well. And one of the things we're going to look at today is practice. And I believe that if we're going to be game day ready in everyday living, then one thing that's going to be important for us is to put into practice our faith. And so it's my hope that, that the lesson today will inspire you and me to be more diligent in our practice. And so if you have your Bible, we're just going to look at one verse today. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse number 23. And so Hebrews 10, verse number 23. Uh, this letter was written, this will not shock you, to the Hebrew people. That's why it's called Hebrews. Uh, most of the, the Jewish people that it's being written to, they were, living in, uh, they were living in Italy. 
And what was happening to them is because of their faith, they were undergoing some, I mean, they're being persecuted because of their faith. They're being made fun of. They were being blackballed in work. And so what was happening is many of these believers were ready to give up. And so the writer of Hebrews wrote them this letter in order to encourage them to hang in there. He's telling them, keep on practicing your faith. Keep on, keep on believing and trusting in what God has to say. And there's no doubt in my mind that we're in need of the same type of encouragement as believers as well. Um, in our country today, there's no doubt that Christianity has sort of been trending downward for a number of years. As a matter of fact, I saw that, uh, that the number one or the fastest growing religion in the United States today is Islam. Uh, Christianity has less people professing faith in Christ than ever before. So, so what do we need? As we need to be practicing our faith. And so what I want us to do today is simply to see why practice is so important in our faith. And the very first thing that I see of why practice is important in our faith is because practice helps us to endure. Practice helps us to endure. And we see a glimpse of this in verse number 23. It says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now the writer of Hebrews starts out by saying something very important here. He tells us that we are to hang on to the hope that was given to us about Jesus. He says, hang on to the hope of your confession without wavering. When he tells us to hold on, that word hold on, it literally means to keep a firm possession of. Well, to keep a firm possession of what? Well, to keep a firm possession of our faith, of the hope that we have in Jesus. When he's saying hold on, it was actually the picture of a captain steering his ship, hanging on to the wheel. He was letting them know if, 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 the, if the ship is going to be steady, if it's going to sail along on the correct course, then the captain has to hang on to the wheel and have a steadying hand to guide the ship. And, and the same thing is true when it comes to our faith. If we're going to guide the waters of this life, which I think we can all agree at times are rather turbulent, it says you have to have a steady hand on the wheel of your faith. You know, over the last six years, our, our children have been... We've had to teach them, we've taught them how to drive. If you looked on Facebook, Emily posted a picture of our daughter, Janie. Hello, Janie. Uh, Janie, she passed her permit test this week. So, Janie, we're very proud of you for passing your test. She loves me talking to her like this. And so, uh, now, the thing is, now, for driving for me is, is really not, it's, it's sort of second nature to me now. Because I've been driving for, I got my license a long time ago. And so, it's just sort of normal to me. Now, whenever it comes to our kids driving, when it was time for them to drive, Emily and I didn't just hand them the keys and say, hey, good luck, hit the road. We had to, we had to help them out. We've had to, to teach them, to prepare them to be able to drive. And so we've come up to the church parking lot, like I'm sure that many of you have with your kids, and we've let them drive around the parking lot to sort of, sort of get, a, get a feel for what it's like to drive a car. Now... Our kids, and I'm sure your kids, and every other person who's ever driven, the first time they drive, it's not like they sat down in the car, and it was just smooth sailing. 
Now, if you don't believe me, if you're a kid, if you have a kid that is not driven yet, the only thing you have to do is come up to the church parking lot, sit them down, and then see what it's like when they apply the brakes for the very first time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're sitting in the car, they apply the brakes, and your head goes through the dashboard. Uh, whenever they accelerate for the first time, it is like a rocket ship. I mean, you just sort of you know, go back, your face is blowing back. And now the, re the reason why it's that way is because they don't have a steady hand yet. You know, they, they, haven't, they haven't practiced enough to be able to drive and to navigate through the obstacles on the road safely. But if they're going to do it, we all know that one thing that it takes is it takes practice. Well, here's the deal. The same thing is true when it comes to your faith and my faith. As if, if we're going to guide and steer our lives safely through this life, we have to have a steady hand. And the way that we have a steady hand is that, that we practice what Jesus teaches us in Scripture. Now you might say, well, well what should I do? Well, he says, listen, you want to practice so that you don't waver. That's what verse 23 says. Practice so you don't waver. Well, then, then how do we keep from wavering? Well, here's, here's one to put on your to-do list. Read the Bible. That's a, good, that's a good start for practicing. Start reading what Scripture has to say. You know, if, if you and I want to know how to live, then let's take a look and see what God says about living. Now, the good news is that even today, Americans believe that the Bible is an important book. Matter of fact, 80% of Americans believe the Bible is not just important. They say that they believe that it is sacred. That's good news. Now, now here's the problem. Only 26% of people actually take time to read the Bible. So, so why do we want to hold on to the hope that the Bible gives us? Well, because it keeps us on a steady path. It helps us guide our way through life so that we can get to the finish line of this life. Uh, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13. Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. He says, you know, hang on to the confession of your faith so that you can guide your way through life and endure to the end. And Jesus says, then we will be delivered. I, I, I saw an interesting story. I would love to show you the video because it's really fascinating. Uh, the longest race, foot race in the world, is 543.7 miles long. It's a race between Melbourne and Sydney, Australia. Now, in 1983, 150 participants signed up for the race. I don't know why anybody would want to do this. But they signed up for the race. It was covered by Australian national television. What fascinated people, what caught the eye of the people, though, is the runners, you know, it's all these guys that are in great shape. They had their, you know, their little shorts on and their nice running shoes. But what caught everybody's attention was a 61-year-old potato farmer named Cliff Young, who signed up for the race. He uh, did not have any teeth. He walked up to the starting line or to the, play, the register. He was wearing overalls and galoshes. Everybody thought it was a joke. They sat there and they kind of chuckled as he was signing up for the race. But whenever it came time to start the race, he went to the starting line wearing his number over his overalls and his galoshes. People were saying, you better get this guy out of here or he's going to kill himself. 
Well, the race started. All these runners took off running, and Cliff Young began to shuffle along in his galoshes. Everybody thought it was a joke. Here's what's interesting. The race concluded five days and 15 hours later. Cliff Young, the 61-year-old potato farmer, came in first place. As a matter of fact, he didn't just win. He won by nine hours and 56 minutes. Okay, how in the world did that happen? Here's what happened. When you run the race, those runners, they will run 18 hours a day, and then at night they will sleep for six hours, get up and repeat the process. Cliff Young never stopped. He ran for five consecutive days. He broke the record by over nine hours. They asked him why he didn't stop. He said, I didn't know I was supposed to. Now, guys, here's the thing that's interesting to me. The people who are victorious, the people who win, the people who come across the finish line are not always the most talented. They're not always those who are the best fit, in the best shape, who have the nicest stuff. They are the people who endure. They are the people who keep plodding along. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us about our faith. He said, if you're going to be victorious in your faith, he says, you endure. You never quit. You never give up. In Hebrews 10.36, it says, For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Here's the deal. The race of life, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And in the long-distance race of life, it is endurance that leads to success. And practice helps you endure. So, so why is practice important? It helps us endure. Why is practice important? Well, here's another one. Because it helps us remember our position. It helps us remember our position. Again, in, in verse number 23, it says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, life can be, life can be tough. And you know, the older you get, the more you realize or you, you come to learn, even through personal experience, that there is stuff that happens in life that's not fair. You know, there's just stuff that happens in life that you go, man, that, should not, that ain't right. Have, have you all seen some of that stuff? And, you know, and whenever you see things that happen that you go, man, that's not fair, that's not right, it, it can be discouraging it can make you want to say, I don't even know why I'm doing this stuff. I want to give up. Now, now the people that were being written to in our text, they were at a point where they're ready to give up. And the reason why is because they are, they are practicing their faith. They are following Jesus. Where had it gotten them? They're, they're, they're undergoing persecution. That's not fair. You know, they're, they're following after Jesus, and they're catching grief for it. And some of the people got to a point where they're like, you know what? It's time for me maybe to do something a little bit different. And that's why the writer of Hebrews was encouraging the people not to forget their position. Now, don't forget your position. He told them to hang on to the confession of their hope. Now, what was their confession? He says, hang on to the confession of your hope. You know, what were they professing to believe? They were professing to believe that they were the children of God. You know, what, what was the confession of their hope? Well, that they would have eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
That they are the children of God. Simply put, the writer of Hebrews was telling the people, he said, don't, don't forget who you are. That that's why you want to continue to practice your faith, to, to fill your mind with what God's Word says, because as you read this book, you're going to see the promises that God gives us. And God promises, for, promises us forgiveness. God promises us that He's prepared a place for us in heaven. God has promised us that He will enable us to, to do abundantly more than we, we could even think or even ask or imagine. He said, as you continually practice these things, he says, then you are going to remember what your position is. You're going to remember, you know, things are tough right now, but I know who I am in Jesus. Things are tough right now, but I know that God has given me a promise. That means that as believers, we don't have any reason to fear what happens to us in the future. You know why? Because we have a future. If you follow Jesus, you have a future. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Question is, do you believe that? Yeah, it's one thing to say it. Where we struggle is actually believing it. And, and what happens to many of us is we forget that and we allow the circumstances to drive us down to a point where we are ready to quit and give up because we have forgotten who we are in Jesus. There was an American tourist who had gone to France and he had bought, you know, went over there and he bought some, some trinkets and some souvenirs. And one of the things he bought was he bought a necklace. And when he was coming back into the States, he had to go through customs and he had to pay a tax on it. And so he thought, I need to get this necklace appraised to see what it's worth. When he went in, he was blown away whenever the jeweler looked at the necklace and offered him $25,000 to buy that necklace right there. And the guy was stunned because he hadn't paid anything like that for the necklace. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. Why would you pay me $25,000 for the necklace? And he had him come over, and he had one of those like, like magnifying glasses, and they looked at the, at the necklace, and on the stone behind it, there was an inscription on the stone, and it said, From Napoleon to Josephine. The jeweler said, it's, he says, it's not the necklace that's worth anything. He said, what, the reason why it's worth something is because of the inscription that's on the necklace. Now, guys, in a, in a very similar sense, let me tell you something. It is not who you are that makes you valuable. It's not what you do that makes you valuable. It's not how much money that you have that makes you important. If you are a follower of Jesus, what gives you value is the one who has placed his stamp upon your life. Jesus. And you know, whenever you come to understand and you have the knowledge of this truth, it should cause you to rethink the way that you live your life. You know, if you have a brand new pair, if you, if, if you, have, if you have an old pair of tennis shoes that are all banged up and muddy, you don't, you don't have any problem dragging those shoes through the mud and working in the yard, do you? But what about whenever you have those new shoes? I don't know how y'all are. When I get when I get new tennis shoes, I, I don't want to I don't want to mess them up. I like them to I like them to look nice and fresh, so that when I go to the Y, everybody knows those shoes are new. Now, when I have something new, I don't drag them through the mud. Why? Because they're clean. Let me tell you something. When Jesus touches your life and you follow Him, He makes you clean. 
And the last thing you want to do is to drag your life through the mud that will get you dirty again. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Guys, let me tell you something. Practice is important because it helps you to endure. Practice is also important because it helps us to remember our position. And here's another one. Practice is also important because it helps us to live with confidence. That's probably my, my, favorite, my favorite part of this lesson. is in verse number 23. It says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Here's the important part. For he who promised is faithful. You know, it's, it's not hard to live with confidence when everything like goes your way, is it? It's not, not hard to live with confidence whenever... You know, it just seems like everything works out for you. But, but, but where confidence becomes inspiring is whenever you see a person who doesn't have everything going for him, and yet he is still confident. Now, you can look at that person and say, that guy's either delusional, or he's got something that he's hoping in that's worthwhile. Now, now personally, I'm discovering that far too often I allow my circumstances to dictate how I feel. That I can allow my circumstances to dictate how I'm going to live my life. Guys, as a believer, I, I, don't, I don't have to do that. Because as I said earlier, it's because when I am following Jesus and I am practicing my faith, I begin to understand more and more that I have a future with God. I have a future with Him. That's Jeremiah 29, 11 again. Now that, that's easy to believe when you're, you know, when you're young and you feel invincible. But man, as you begin to get older... more and more you begin to realize, I am not invincible. As you get older, you begin to recognize not everything always works out. So when that's true, then how in the world can we live with confidence? It's because of the end of verse number 23. And if you look at the end again, it says, For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You know, right now, Everything on the news is about the presidential elections. Have you all noticed that? I mean, every time you turn it on, it's, you know, it's talking about debates. It's talking about what some candidate has said. Um, Every night at the House, we have phone call after phone call. Are you all getting those phone calls? If you have a landline still, like we do, they just continuously, we've unplugged our phone. They call. And it's some candidate, whatever candidate it is, you know, they, they will tell you, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to lower taxes. We're going to give you free college. We're going to plant a tree in your backyard and money's going to grow off of it. And, you know, you hear these things and, and the, my response now is it goes in one ear and right out the other. You know why? I'm a little bit jaded here because it, it never happens. Have y'all ever noticed that? All those promises and I'm thinking... These guys, ain't nothing going to be different unless we have a massive overhaul. And sometimes we, we can look at what God promises and we can feel the same way. But guys, here's the difference with God. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. When God says that He's prepared a place for us in heaven, let me tell you something, it's true. When God tells us that if we confess our sins to Him, that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, let me tell you something, it's true. When God tells us 
that we are the children of God. When we follow Him, we are His children. It's true. Now, the penalty of sin, which is death and separation from God for an eternity in hell, it is seeking after us. It is seeking people out to destroy us. But Jesus came along, and what Jesus has done, so to speak, is He has taken those who trust Him, and He says, I will put you in a witness protection program, and I will protect your identity through me, and I'll keep you safe. You know, a witness protection program, it was started in 1971. Uh, the reason for it was to enable people to go to court and testify against criminals without fear of reprisal. And so what they'd do is if you entered into that program, you could testify, then they would take you away and they would move you to a new location. They would change your identity to keep you safe. What's interesting is since 1971, no matter what the movies say, whenever people are under the protection of the U.S. Marshals, not one person has ever lost his life. Been safe. Now because of that, when people are, are offered to go into the witness protection program, they're like, sign me up. Because they've been kept, people have been kept safe. They've had no problem signing up. Now, in a very real sense, that is exactly what Jesus will do for us. He will provide us with salvation. He'll provide us with His protection. To face this life with confidence, knowing that He's given us promises of a future. That He's given us promises of a hope. And once a person enters into the care of God, God forever watches over his people he always does romans 8 35 through 39 we actually sang this in one of our songs today it says who can separate us from the love of christ can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, now listen to this, that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's the question. Does practice matter? We're talking about practice, right? Does practice matter? Absolutely. We see several reasons why practice is important. Practice will help you endure this life. Y'all, this life is hard. But Jesus says, you practice my word, and I'll give you strength. This practice is important. It helps us to remember our position. When you constantly practice your position, you are game day ready. When you constantly practice your position and you realize you are a child of God, it gives you confidence. Does practice matter? Yeah. It helps you live with confidence. Our God does not lie. Every promise that He's given His people, He has followed through on it. Now there is an overwhelming sense today that things aren't right. In, in our country today, two-thirds of Americans say that we are headed down the wrong track. Guys, this is where Christians, followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to be a part of the solution. What is it? Practice your faith. You want to see God make a difference? Put into practice what God says. Believe what Jesus said. 
and then live it. Because we have a world that is in need of seeing God. And God is seen through His people. Keep practicing.